everyone, and welcome to the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast about our tricky relationship with stuff and how to fix it. I'm Ali Moore from ReLondon, and I'm joined today by our comms lead for our London Recycles campaign, Rebecca Child. Hi, Becca. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ali. Thanks for having me on the show. You are super welcome. Let's dive straight in as we've got a really jam-packed episode today, celebrating all things repair, just in time for our very own Repair Week, which obviously you run, Becca, as part of London Recycles. Can you just tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, of course. So Repair Week is running from the 20th to the 26th of March. And this year, I'm really excited to see so many new and more brands and organisations get involved. The week is going to be super busy with lots of events from free mending classes, workshops and bike surgeries to amazing talks and life-changing hacks. We have a whole host of community-led events taking place right across the capital. And I'm also really pleased that Repair Week is expanding. We have Manchester joining us, which is hopefully the start of a national Repair Week. Brilliant. With the cost of living yeah, (laughs) and climate crises, it does make sense that there's a growing appetite for learning to repair and upcycle rather than throw stuff away. Yeah, and I've been seeing, I know lots of us have been seeing so much more in the news these days about repair and upcycling. It's really encouraging, I think, that people are embracing the repair movement and more businesses are offering it as a service as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And the skills learned are not just invaluable when it comes to keeping our stuff lasting longer, but they can also be really creative. Some people find them a source of joy and relaxation. And we'll hear more about that from some of our interviewees today, I think. So the more we upskill ourselves to fix or upcycle items, the more we can keep out of landfill. But there are loads of psychological, emotional and social benefits too, which our repair heroes on this episode clearly demonstrate. Yeah, they really do. And I know that personally, I really enjoy an evening just sat in front of a good film darning socks when I know that they've got loads more life in them. It's really distressing. And it just makes me think how mad it is about the amount of clothes or, well, socks in particular, I guess, that get thrown away just because of a really tiny hole. Yeah. Anyway, with that in mind, the first of our three guests is Jamie Greenlee, who is a co-founder of Make Me Studio, who are a South London-based enterprise who are literally mending our relationship with clothing. Let's hear a bit more from them. Tell us a little bit about Make Me Studio. How did it start and what kind of activities and things do you do? Where are you based? Who runs the classes? That kind of thing. Yeah, we're in Lewisham. We're based in Crofton Park Library at the moment. We started five and a half years ago in my business partner, Tracy's back garden. She built a studio with her bare hands. Blimey. (laughs) And we started off very slowly. We met a few years before teaching sewing somewhere else. And then we first started really, really slowly doing like one class. And then people would kind of ask like, oh, are you doing after school stuff? So then we started doing that. And then people were like, are you doing adult classes? So we started doing that. And it's kind of like snowballed. And now we've got a bigger studio. We're in the library and we've got freelance teachers. We've got like a team of like five teachers. So I do some of the teaching and those guys do. And we basically just try and get ourselves involved in everything we can. In Lewisham, we do lots of community projects as well. So we've had like funded projects and mending pop-ups. Those community projects look amazing. I was browsing through your website, some really good ones. I particularly love the youth-based ones, but they all look great, to be honest. How have they come about? I think for me, I guess I've loved being creative and I love teaching. And I always felt like I don't want it to be just something people have to pay for. (laughs) Like I want everyone to be able to have the skills. So in the back of my mind, kind of being able to offer stuff for free, whether that's like us getting funding where we've applied for grants and stuff to do a project or like working with youth centers like we do work with youth first quite a lot and them kind of getting the funding to to have us there but being able to like offer skills 
to everyone, not just like the people who can maybe afford to come to our classes, which is lovely. And we love that as well. But yeah, that's always been kind of part of our motivation that we want it to be accessible to everyone. So who funds them then? So we've had different things. So we've just done a big project that's kind of come to the end with the Arts Council. So we applied for a grant for them. Sometimes we do collaborations. So like one of our projects was called Stitch Up, Look Sharp, which was with teenagers in Lewisham. And that was with Lewisham Homes and a charity called Believe. And we applied for some funding through one of Lewisham Homes partners who like run some of the council housing in Lewisham. So that was actually funded by Travis Perkins. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. What was that about? What did Travis Perkins have? They have contracts with Lewisham Homes. Oh, I see. For building and stuff. So they offer different like grants sometimes for community projects nice. with them. Yeah. So we try it anywhere we can, where we can find something we can do stuff for free. When we did our mending pop-up shop in Lewisham Shopping Centre, that was funded by the council because last year Lewisham was the borough of culture. So there was quite a lot of like money around to be able to do like creative projects which was really exciting yeah we get a lot of support from councils during repair week they're very enthusiastic about it and yeah we we really appreciate all of their support and what about the after school club then well I was definitely caught by that because I I don't have primary age kids anymore but I'd have loved to have sent them to a sewing after school club how did that happen and what do you teach Again, when we started, people were kind of like, oh, are you doing anything after school? And we started with one class, you know, an hour and a half, one afternoon, and then it got busier and busier and busier. And now we run two classes, like Monday to Thursday. (laughs) We've got like 80 kids or something that come every week. Wow. Is that from lots of different Lewisham schools? Lots of different schools. Yeah, yeah. And how do you find it teaching kids uh, compared to adults? Oh, we love it. Do you know what? The kids... We often say like the kids are often easier than the adults because we start from age six up to 16 and the classes are quite mixed. So they're mixed ability, mixed ages. So it's really nice that they all kind of learn from each other as well. But kids just do it and they like, oh, my God, I've made a pink fluffy beret and it's the best thing I've ever made. And they'll run around in it. Whereas adults are like, oh, it's wonky. Everyone's going to know it's wonky. And we always try and go for like that kind of just go with it like you're learning it doesn't matter like you've got to start somewhere and if you beat yourself up about every wonky stitch line you're never going to like progress or never going to be happy with it so we try and encourage that kind of like fun creative making and like mending and how we can in a way kids are easier to teach than adults (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. do you think that that fear of things not being perfect is is the main thing that stops people from repairing their clothes Oh, I think so. A hundred percent. Like the confidence that like, because they've done it themselves, it's going to fall apart or not thinking like, oh, I don't know how, like everyone will notice if I've done this thing to it. Because I think, I think it's changing, but I think there's always this like thing about things being perfect, isn't it? Mm. And for me, like, I love it if something's a bit wonky or it's got a patch on it or it's got like visible mending on it and it tells a story. And I think because a lot of our culture is like buying new and everything looking new and like having the, you know, crisp, fresh trainers and all that kind of stuff, like things looking worn. Some people don't think it in the past anyway, don't think it's been as desirable, is it? But now I think that is changing and people are kind of embracing the visible mending and things having a bit more of a story to them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I see more and more of it on social media, for instance. Maybe I'm following the right people for it. But yeah, it feels like people are more interested in being able to tell a sort of personal story about 
where their clothes have come from and, and what they've done with them. Definitely, definitely. Even after lockdown, like uh, the amount of people coming to our classes has grown and people are kind of saying like, oh, I just want to be able to wear stuff that's like more individual and not kind of fast fashion and I know where it's come from. Do you think lockdown made a difference to people around? Because we assume that it has, but... I think so. We were very lucky. Like we had to kind of stop what we were doing for some of lockdown and then we started doing like community projects during it and then when we started up again we just had so many more inquiries and people interested in it like adults and kids I think maybe like people making masks and making scrubs during lockdown and and also kind of just having time to do a hobby <laughs> and you know not being able to shop and not being able to do that kind of stuff did did make a difference to people thinking about their clothes more and yeah yeah. And all that I guess also there was the stories about how like the fashion brands like just didn't pay their workers and just stopped ordering stuff. And I think maybe people had more time to engage with what was going on that it it did wake people up a bit to changing their habits. Yeah. I I I think we all feel that that's the case. I'd love to see some kind of hard evidence, but it's good to hear from the from you on the front line of it saying that it's definitely happening. Yeah, kind of circumstantially, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what are your plans for Repair Week this year? And, and have you been involved before? I don't know if we have officially. We I think when, last year we were running our mending pop-up during Repair Week. Ah, coincidentally though. Yeah, coincidentally, yes. But this year, we so we, every week we run a class called The Social. Spelt so shul. <laughs> love a pun. We love that, yeah. Um, and that's kind of like a free for all. You can just come and sew and use our equipment and just hang out. And what we're planning to do anyway is kind of make sure people know that they can come and mend their stuff. We're kind of having a bit of a rejig and a rebrand of it and having it as a space where people can come and learn how to mend, darn their socks. So I think in Repair Week, we're going to run, we normally alternate. So it's on a Tuesday morning, 10 to 12. And then the next week, it's 7 to 9 on a Thursday and they alternate but I think we're going to run both sessions and have it as a big come and repair your stuff at those and it's fairly cheap so it's 10 pounds or if people can't afford that we also have bursary places so we offer some free places and cheaper places on that class as well. Fantastic so that means that people who are working and people who are not working can attend one of those sessions that sounds like a really good way of doing it to me yeah yeah yeah. brilliant oh well that's really exciting so we'll definitely be shouting out about that during the week and hope that you get lots of people coming along so we ask all of our interviewees this last question which is basically it's been a really tough few years for everyone it doesn't really look like it's going to be letting up that soon right now in the UK and globally but what gives you hope and what gets you up in the morning at the moment I always say this, actually, the thing that I think spurs me on is always like the reaction that you get when somebody has made something or fixed something and they've done it themselves and they've learned that for the first time. It's like you get the same reaction out of a six year old that you do a 60 year old. And I just love the joy that like being creative and doing something with your hands and then being able to wear it gives people And I think that's always the thing that spurs me on is just people like watching people be really proud of themselves. (laughs) And I think giving people that skill gives me hope and hope that people are going to kind of come back to it even more. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much, Jamie. It's been lovely to meet you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. (laughs) 
So I obviously love all of that, Becca, being a knitter and a sewer, as you know, but I would genuinely have loved my kids to go to an after-school club when they were much younger to learn some of those sewing skills. What did you think about Make Me and what they're up to? I think it's fantastic that they're teaching both adults and kids craft skills. Yeah. And the fact they built a studio with their bare hands is pretty impressive. I know. It's great to hear about their community projects, particularly those targeting young people and really their mission to be accessible to everyone. Yeah, accessibility strikes me as being really key, just providing opportunities for as many people as possible to get involved. And I also really loved when Jamie said that what gives her hope is the look of joy and pride on people's faces when they make or repair something for the first time. I can really picture that in my head. It's so lovely. Right. So remind us quickly, what are the dates and times and locations of the Make Me events during Repair Week? So Make Me Studios are running two events at Crofton Park Community Library. The first one is on Tuesday, 21st of March, 10am to 12pm. And the second one is Thursday, 23rd of March, 7pm to 9pm. Perfect. Something for people who work during the day and something for people who don't. Yeah, exactly. Great. Thanks, Becca. Now, staying on textiles or at least clothing, our next guest is Tandy Twockley from Revivo. And they're the reuse and repair arm of a footwear brand that some of you will have come across called Vivo Barefoot. Revivo offers pre-loved, reconditioned Vivos at a reduced price, and that includes old season and returned stock. So let's hear a bit more from Tandy. So Vivo Barefoot obviously started first. When did the idea of Revivo come up and how did that start? Because obviously you started off as a shoe manufacturer and brand. It really fits into how Vivo operates and who we are. So we tried to make everything that we do good for not only people, so in terms of foot health, but also planetary health, by connecting people to nature through our products, because our outsoles are much thinner than normal footwear. So you're able to connect to the ground beneath you a little bit more. And we hope that by connecting people to their environments, that they will care more about the environment and want to protect it. And we also know that barefoot footwear is still relatively new, I would say, as a concept. And so on our e-commerce site, what we do is we offer people a 100-day trial to really see if the product is for them. We say to people, hey, try it out, go for a hike, (laughs) go for a run, see if you really love this product. And if you're not happy, you can return it in any condition before the 100-day trial is up. Mm. This, of course, means that we get a lot of products back, which cannot be resold as new. And this is where Revivo comes in. We wanted to make sure that those products had a second life outside of our normal e-commerce business. So what's the percentage, roughly, of ones that get sent back in that trial period? How many people use the 100-day trial? This, we actually don't keep figures on, but we could say that about 2% of everything that is sold through our e-commerce channel will end up coming back to Revivo and not being able to be resold. So it is a rather small amount, but just with the volume of sales that we do, it tends to be a considerable amount of things that couldn't be repaired. And that was the the beginning of Revivo was to find a partner who could help us bring these products back to life. And then we could also offer Vivo to people at a more accessible price point because on Revivo we sell things between 20 to 50% off. So that's also part of us kind of bringing barefoot to more people. And I think also some people don't want to buy new. They've 
decided that, you know, they want to reduce their impact. And this is also then an option for them to still be able to purchase our products secondhand. You talked about finding a partner to help you refurb and repair. Where do those repairs take place? Because I can see on the website it's only available to UK customers, but do you have you have a partner or you don't do it in-house? Yeah, that's correct. We don't do it in-house. We have a partner in Leeds that we work with and they are a certified repairer for a number of different brands. And they also then do the Vivo Barefoot customer repairs. And then they also repair inventory for us to sell on Revivo. And what are the most frequent repairs that you find when people are sending things back? Well, part of having very thin soles on your shoes means that they need to be replaced more often. So that is the two resoling options are the main repairs that we have. I think it's 98%. We do also offer two cleaning options, but overwhelmingly people want to get things resold and what about the things that get sent back to you which are absolutely not repairable because you've got a take back scheme as well haven't you what happens to all of them what we've been doing is that we know that there are lots of different solutions on the market currently and we haven't yet found one that is a great fit for us yet because what we ideally would like to do is we'd like to be able to reuse the material from our products in future products. So right now we've stored them as we look to kind of develop our own recycling program in a way that allows us to be able to do that. And so right now we're mainly just looking for partners and kind of mapping out what that process would look like. Really interesting. I'd love to hear more when you're further down that route. So what are the soles made of? So those ones that can't be repaired at the moment, that presumably they split out into different types of material. Are the soles plastic, rubber? Rubber. I would say, actually, in terms of what can and can't be repaired, we have a bit of a challenge there because once we started doing Revivo, we realized that we had, in the past, perhaps designed things in a way that made them very difficult to repair. Yeah, common story, that one, I think. Yeah, a real learning process about design. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, great hindsight. And so what we've done is now our repairs partner speaks with our design team and they also provide feedback on our future products, which is great. But of course, those are things that we're probably going to see in, you know, two to five years. That's an amazing feedback loop to have, isn't it? With your repairer and your designers, that sounds quite innovative, actually, and really sensible. Yeah, I think we need to maybe improve it a little bit because right now it's a little bit more, I would say, anecdotal. So they, they speak to each other. But I think what's really missing there is data, being able to actually track what repairs are done on what kinds of styles so that we can see over time what are common faults and what kind of wear and tear our products take to be able to kind of make, I would say, kind of data informed decisions in the future. So in terms of people repairing things themselves or sending things back for repair, obviously your customer base is presumably quite switched on in terms of wanting to keep things going and, and you know reduce their material footprint and that kind of thing. But what do you think generally stops people from getting things fixed or from repairing things themselves? When it comes to businesses providing repairs, it really needs to be more customer-centric. One of the main barriers that I know just like from not only myself, but also now from being on the other side, is that convenience is really a deciding factor. And that's whether you want to do a repair at home, 
or whether you want to have a repair done for you, I think the more effort that's required, the less likely um, you are to get something repaired. It's something that we are really working on. We have the option for people to either go to our Neal Street store to bring something in for repair or to send it in. But I think that there are great startups out there like Sojo, Save Your Wardrobe, Mended, that they've gone even further with making that easy through an app and then also offering things like at-home pickup. And then the other thing I would say is maybe care. Sometimes people send us things when they're already beyond repair. So, for example, we can replace an outsole, but if you've worn through the footbed, that makes it a lot more difficult. And so having people kind of understand how to not only take care of products, but also at what point something goes from being repairable to unrepairable. Like if you get disappointed by finding out that something's not repairable, the next time you might not even try to get something repaired. And so I think that's a really important piece of like customer communication and again, customer engagement. That whole phrase, uh, stitch in time saves nine is one that I come back to occasionally. My partner wears through their socks really fast and gives them to me when it's far too late. It's like, yeah, too late, babe. Exactly, when it's threadbare, right? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, some of those businesses that you mentioned and, you know, access to repair services is what London Repair Week is is all about to a large degree. So what are your plans for Repair Week? Have you been involved before? We have not been involved. Well, welcome. Thank you. But we have been waiting patiently since last year (laughs) (laughs) um, to find out when the date would be for this year. Because actually our repair service only launched in 2021. Of course, we fully support the ethos and the mission behind it. And what we will be doing is a visible mending workshop. It will be kind of a a slight twist because we'll be focusing on how you can use visible mending on footwear. I mean, I know that a lot of people have really embraced it for clothing. But again, talking about how people can take care of things on their own at home, I think it's interesting to introduce that idea to your shoes. I have a pair of trainers that are so smashed up, but I keep wearing them. They've got a big hole in the fabric section on the toe. So I may welcome along to that one. Yeah, sign up. (laughs) Last question. We asked this of all of our interviewees about what's giving you hope at the moment in the light of the fact that it's been a really hard couple of years for everybody and it doesn't look at the moment like things are going to improve massively in the next year or so. But what gets you out of bed in the morning and what makes you hopeful and happy? I think that there is a certain optimism in taking care of things and repairing things and giving things on to people that meant a lot to you. And so I think it's more, I would say, out in the mainstream, the idea of repair, resale, swapping, and that the things that we wear really have value and meaning to the fact about how people connect with each other as well, because we're kind of moving away, I hope, from this just like obsession with stuff and having so much stuff and always having the new stuff. And I hope it's a reflection of a wider change within the world. I second that. Thank you so much, Tandy. It's been great to talk to you. Good luck with the venture. Thank you, Ali. So that's a much more commercial approach to repair. Revivo and Vivo Barefoot have built it into the DNA of their products and services, but they're driven entirely, it sounds, by environmental objectives. What did you think of what they're up to? I think it's really refreshing to hear a business outwardly say that they don't want to be known for products going to landfill. (laughs) 
While they said they had just 2% of products returned that couldn't be repaired, it's great that they found inspiration in this to kickstart Revivo in an effort to scale a repair service. Yeah, exactly. And it really struck me that they said that they're holding on to all the shoes that they can't repair until a solution comes along for dealing with them. That's proper long-term commitment, isn't it? Yeah. Right, now let's hear from our final Repair Week guest, Andy Hilton from Manchester Bike Kitchen. They're a not-for-profit organisation on a mission to teach and support people to become self-sufficient and proficient in bike riding and in maintenance. Hi, uh, my name's Andy Hilton and I'm the director of Manchester Bike Kitchen, which is a community interest company in Greater Manchester. We were born out of COVID. I came from a career in sport and football and then COVID came, I thought, well, I'd be really busy. I wasn't. And it just so happens that where we live, there was quite a lot of people so obviously traveling to and from work on bikes. So I started fixing bikes in my community. Yeah, It was just sort of born out of that. We were doing a lot of stuff, a project called Urban Links, which was with a company called Tough Sea. We found that there was a lot of adults and other people coming that was the way the bikes fixed that was outside of the remit of Tufsi. So kind of bike kitchen was born from there. And we took a, a bit of a leaf from London Bike Kitchen. It's a small repair organization and they also allow people to hire the stands and tools so they can fix their own bikes with the mechanics sort of on the shoulder. And we started out copying that model. It's, it's massively changed since then. That was the sort of central kernel of what we wanted to do. It's just obviously developed into something else since then. And whose bikes are you fixing? Where are they coming from? All sorts. So we have two pop-up shops, one in Trafford, one in Tameside. And we do a normal bike shop service. So people come in, get the bikes repaired, get the bikes serviced. And then people donate bikes to us, which are no longer of any use, which we then either fix to sell, which we you know, cover the cost of what it's cost to repair it. Or we fix it and then donate it to another one of the many community groups which we work with hmm. and then the sort of central contract to that is under the Greater Manchester Combined Authority which is nine of the ten authorities in Greater Manchester all sort of work together they have a waste contract and the contract was won by Suez Suez have the Renew Hub which is a huge facility in Trafford Park where we do bikes but there's also upholstery woodwork metalwork and electronics and there's other bits that comes in and they go out to renew shops and it's run as a not-for-profit we run the bike pod there so there's bikes that come in they're donated by the general public and we fix those bikes under contracts which then go out into the renew shops and also the click and collect we're also now in the process of helping them run a bike market because we've got loads of bikes and obviously need more people to come and see them so we've got these sort of two separate but similar strands and what was the what's the most sort of frequent repairs and bits of fixing that you do on the bikes that's a really good question if you are talking in, in our children's bikes generally it's pumping tires up cleaning them and just putting things in the right place. A lot of parents buy cheap bikes for kids for Christmas or for whatever activity they grow out of them because kids grow really quick, but they tend to put them on the wrong way around. So you get the forks on back to front, brakes on the wrong way around or brake pads upside down, things like that. So it's just generally we check them over and basically put things in the right place, make sure it's all safe. And then that gets passed through. In terms of adult bikes that come through, there's a whole raft of things, but the vast majority tends to be chains and cassettes that tend to have just been overworn. And then a lot of people come to you and say, oh, we've got a puncture. And basically they've just not pumped the tires up. So the vast majority of our stuff is around sort of replacing chains, cassettes, pumping tires up. And if when we service the bikes, obviously we change the cables over and we give them a good clean, which 
it tends to be the, the sort of biggest parks. They're just a lot of the bikes we've have got quite dirty. We do have some really good ones. Some people, you know, really do look after the bikes and get to the point where they need to move them on. We do get some quite nice ones. So you talked about some of the ways that the bikes get sold to cover your costs, but you you do all of this other sort of community work as well. Like you've got much broader social objectives, like the big bike revival and bike maintenance workshops. Can you tell me a bit about the big bike revival and what that is and what you're trying to achieve? The big bike revival is funded by the Department of Transport and it's an initiative to get people to take the bike out of the shed, get it fixed up and start riding around on it. I think it's about some like 68% of people's journeys are less than five miles and there's a big push around trying to get people to do that on a bicycle or walk or do something that you don't require you you know do you really need your car to go and do it and the obviously the barrier to that is lack of knowledge on bike my bike doesn't work you get a flat tire it's got a puncture it goes to the back of the shed and it stays there forever so the big bike revival is a scheme that supports community groups across the country to deliver community pop-ups in their area we also do them in parks and we've done a session with younger people which we did outside a local fast food place so where kids were going to be at those times so you know kids would rock up on a bike we were there we could talk to them fix the bikes and the guy who owns one of the best fried chicken shops in greater manchester i won't go, won't go into his name <laughs> but it's it's a it's a yeah. really good shop and, and I, I know the owner really well I just said to him, look, can we do this outside your shop? And he was, yeah, of course you can. And we got, we got a great relationship with the kids because obviously that's where we sat background working with younger people and we could fix their bikes. And you knowing that they're riding off on a, you know, a, it's a it's a road safe bike. It's it's a bike that's been checked. Yeah. And then the thing from that then was the courses. So we do a basic bike maintenance course. We do two different ones. We do the basic bike maintenance course and we do what we call a puncture party. Pretty much just how to go through the system of, of replacing your inner tube when you're out on the road. But a lot of women were coming to the puncture parties. It seemed that men were a bit embarrassed to admit they didn't know how to do a puncture, so they wouldn't. So they wouldn't come. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be seen there to admit. Well, I don't know. To, I don't know how to do it. And the basic bike maintenance courses are pretty much getting people to check the bike safe before they ride it via the M check, and then there's a little bit of puncture party in there. You just touched on it actually with the the gender thing that men don't like to admit that they can't do these some of these basic things. But is there anything sort of more general that stops that gets in the way? Anything that you think needs still fixing in terms of the way that bikes are made? Or well, I, I suppose there's been a huge change in the world. Basically, we've had massive costs on fuel, cost of living crisis that affects everybody. People having to make tough decisions around how do I get to and from work? Can I get to can I get to work? Can I have the heating on? Do I have can I have got enough money for food? So in terms of where we're pitched now, pre-love bike removes some of the barrier in having a method of transport to get to and from. And that is where we're kind of pitched in. In terms of the other barriers, I suppose when you look at more along the infrastructure lines, so there's a huge perception of the safety of cycling. Um, and it's a bit like the perception of crime. You, you can watch the TV and you think, you know what, I'm not going out because this might happen to me. The actual truth of the matter is that probably won't happen. For me, mm. if there's that infrastructure, that cycle lane that makes it safe, and those cycle lanes are cleaned and policed, the lapsed cyclists, as we call them, so the ones who used to ride a bike but don't anymore because it's dangerous, they'll come back. And then the more people that cycle, the more people think, oh, maybe I'll go to work like that because it's, it's nicer. And that leads us then, I suppose, to the big one, rain. Yeah, yeah. We get quite a lot of that up here. Yeah. If you look at other European cities, they don't see them, I suppose in this country, people see themselves as a cyclist, whereas actually, in, you go to, it's just, I'm just riding a bike, I'm a person on a bike, I'm not a cyclist, I'm a person on a bike. And that, for me, there's perception around the danger of cycling, and there's perception around, oh God, I'm going to get to work, and I'm going to be absolutely soaking wet, 
it's, it's just weather. There's no mm. such thing as bad weather. It's the wrong clothing choices. And if you plan for it and you know that work, I've got showers or I get there 10 minutes early and I can have a, you know, I can dry myself off. I can get changed. The vast majority of people that do cycle to and from work and even cycling, general myself included, you get that kind of, it's the mental well-being as well as the physical. So this is your first time being involved in Repair Week because we've only done it in London so far. It's our first time up in Manchester. What are your plans for Repair Week? We'll be keen to do, obviously there's something going to happen at the Renew Hub. There's so many different people here and so many different experts who could help with things. We would like to do a couple of projects separate to this, which are outside. So we have a session for men's mental health. That's with a friend of ours. It's called Chainlink and that's in, in Old Trafford, which is a quite a deprived area of, of Greater Manchester. It's just for other, other men to talk to people, you know, talk to each other. You're talking about all sorts of stuff while you're fixing a bike, and it's a good way of, of venting out. All of the lads who attend all got bikes. It's great. You know, they all fix, they fix their own bike while they're there. So final question, which we ask everyone, is just because it's been such a tough few years and your organisation has kind of grown out of those tough few years, what gives you hope and what gets you up in the morning? I think what gives us hope is we know we're making a difference. So Suez as a company has a contractual task to do millions of tonnes of waste. But when here, when you've saved a bike, we have saved a bike that was going to go in the skip. It was If we can't save a bike, basically, we, we strip it for parts. And we had a frame and a woman from a Women Asylum Seekers Together contacted us about a young her, her son, a Syrian refugee, was travelling to school and it was an hour walk and an hour walk home. As you can imagine, he was quite, quite tired and his studies were struggling. We built a bike from parts that we were going to throw away. Now, no self-respecting young young person of 15 years old from the West would accept this bike, but we give it to, to the mum. She was absolutely over the moon. The young lad went to school on it. In fact, we've, we've sorted about another one since then. We've, we've got a better one. But it was taking him 15 minutes to get to school, 15 minutes to get home. His studies have improved. He wants to go to, to college when his intention is to be a doctor. Now, that tiny, tiny percentage of waste that we've saved won't make any difference to any contract. But we put a human story on it. Wow. Yeah. That's what gets us up. That's the, the, the difference you know you've made that somewhere down the line, we've helped someone. There's loads of stories of stuff like where we help people coming out of care. We work with a, a local domestic abuse service when families get moved out of areas and put into a new one. We give the families bikes so they can, where's school? Where's the park? Where's the shops? They can go and find them under their own steam without having to, where's the bus? Where's this? So yeah, that's what gets us up in the morning, knowing that we can directly help someone change their lives. That's really nice to hear. Thanks ever so much, Andy. Been lovely to meet you. Thanks, thank you very much. Well, what a fantastic lineup of Repair Week guests. Repair heroes, each and every one of them, all in different ways. I can't wait to see how those events go. I'm really hoping that I can get to the visible shoe mending, actually. Yeah, that event will be happening one evening in Covent Garden, but I love that they're all so passionate about it. I know. And just like our previous episode with Phil from Upcycle, I think Andy from Manchester Bike Kitchen is really channeling his passion by doing really great things to give back to his local community, as well as the repair stuff that he does. It's really great to see that. Yeah, it's really struck me actually this year of how much of what happens during repair week is about so much more than the environment and reducing our material footprint there's so much social benefit coming out of the repair movement they kind of go hand in hand Mm. so organizations for instance like make me about running a business with classes that you pay for but also getting those grants and funding from other sources to do local community initiatives which have wider impacts Yeah, and it's also good to hear from businesses that they've seen an increased uptake for repair as part of a business service as a positive outcome of the pandemic, which is interesting. 
and that there's less of a stigma around those worn or mended items. I really love that people are starting to feel proud to show off what they've done in terms of visible mending and things. Yeah, that's a definite change. The human story is really behind every item is what makes repair so unique. And I think that can get lost today in the sort of fast-paced consumer world. So just as our colleague Sarah mentioned in the Goldfinger episode, humans are really magpies for shiny new stuff. And it can be tricky to persuade them otherwise. Mm. But Tandy from Revivo obviously mentioned that not everyone now wants to buy new. So if you are looking for something bespoke and unique, the answer is to do it yourself. Challenge yourself to repair, fix or customise. It really is so rewarding. Yeah, and like Jamie from Make Me Studio said about the perfectionism that people strive for when they're mending garments at first, that they have to just let go because wonky is the new unique. It's not about a perfect finished product. It's about a process which can be recuperative, I think. So, Becca, tell us how people can get involved with Repair Week or repair in general. So, this year, Repair Week is taking place from the 20th to the 26th of March. You can head on over to londonrecycles.co.uk forward slash repair hyphen week for all of our events listings. We have had so many events that have been scheduled across the city and a few in Manchester. You'll be sure to find one local to you. And if you can't make an event, we have a super handy hacks guide and a really helpful directory of where you can find repair services in your community. Links to the Repair Week and all the businesses mentioned are in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. Brilliant. Thanks, Becca. All great stuff, and we're hugely looking forward to the week. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really, really interesting. Thanks to our guests too, Jamie from Make Me Studio, Tandy from Revivo, and Andy from Manchester Bike Kitchen. And as ever, thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at relondon underscore UK and use the hashtag Revolution of Stuff to get involved in the conversation. We'll be back soon with another episode. So bye for now. Bye.